Hi. I just want to start off by saying I really felt the presence of God during that worship. That was really amazing. So good job to the worship team. Um, I wanted to start off by wishing Helen a happy birthday, but she's not here. She dogged it, but if she hears the recording, you know, then we can, we can sing her happy birthday. Um, so I'm very excited to speak with you today. It's been probably about a year or two since the last time I gave a message. So I'm feeling excited and anointed and hopefully um, we can, you know, gain some wisdom out of this. So if you want to turn to the person next to you and ask them, are you ready to hear the word of God today? Now turn to the other person that wasn't your first choice and ask them, are you ready to hear the word of God today? <laughs> so... I want, I want us to get into the habit of um, starting to write notes during messages. So I feel like that's something that we should kind of be getting into. So if you want to get it to your, you know, your smartphones or your dumb phones or your whatever, back on your hands or you know, if you've got Apple with your dumb phones. <laughs> um, so today, this topic that we're going to explore is something that's been kind of very relevant in my life and I feel like it's relevant to a lot of us in here. Um, so the message, the title of today's message is Faith in an Untimely Storm. So before we get started, I'm going to share with you guys a revelation that I've had um, and then some two Bible stories that link to this kind of message. So um, the word revelation I found out means revealed truth. So sometimes we'll have a truth sitting in front of us and we'll be looking at it, but we won't see it. So often sometimes we'll be reading the Bible and read the same story over and over and over again. But when we have a revelation, it's when we actually find out really what God wants us to discover out of it. So my revelation actually came from the book of Revelations, interestingly. Um, and it's Revelation chapter 3, verse 20. Um, and I'll just read it to you. And it says, Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens a door, I will come in and eat with the person and they with me. And growing up, I always used to just question God, being like, God, why don't you just put up a massive sign in the sky saying, I'm Jesus, I'm God, and there'll be no atheists, there'll be no other religions, life would be easy. Or why doesn't God just audibly talk into my ear and be like, Andrew, I want you to do this. You know, I want you to be with this person, I want you to not be with that person, I want you to do this or that. But my revelation I've come to realize is that God is a gentleman. He stands at the door and he knocks and he waits. But too often in our lives, sometimes it's more like, you know, God knocking at the door. Yo, it's... JC here, Jesus, what's happening? But we'll be like, sorry, God, I'm actually too busy. I'm, I'm working on, you know, university right now. Or sorry, God, I'm too busy for you. I'm actually, you know, with my friends and family. So what I've come to discover is that God's purpose for our life is his preference. And I want to say that again. God's purpose for our life is his preference, but he requires our participation. And that's important because a lot of the time we think that just because God has a plan for us, that it's going to automatically happen. And this story that we're about to read through together, God had a purpose for this person, but he never achieved it because he didn't participate and waited for God's timing. So this person we're going to talk about is Saul. Yeah? So God had anointed Saul. He anointed him. He made him king. And he had big, big plans for him. Um, and you'll see, and we'll see what happens. So if we all open up to 1 Samuel chapter 13, verse 5. So my first point I want us to kind of remember is that, again, what, what was it? God's, if anyone remembers it. Preference. Yes. Preference. Yeah, it's his preference, but he requires... That's it. All right. So this is a long piece of scripture. 
So I want you guys to stick with me as we read through it. So 1 Samuel 13, verse 5. And I love, I love this passage. So here we go. I'm going to read from, I think, the ESV version. I can't remember what version. I just copy-pasted it. So if you're reading slightly different, that's why. So the Philistines mustered a mighty army of 3,000 chariots and 6,000 charioteers and as many warriors as the grains of sand on the seashore. I just want you to get a mental picture of what's happening. Imagine how much sand there is on the seashore. Now imagine looking up against an army where there is as many warriors on their side as sand on the seashore. Okay? So they camped at Michmash, east of Beth-Avon. The men of Israel saw what a tight spot they were in. And because they were hard-pressed by the enemy, they tried to hide in caves, thickets, rocks, holes, and cisterns. I just want to, when I was reading this, I want you to kind of like imagine what's happening. These guys were hiding in holes. They were hiding behind rocks. It says in a rock. I don't know if it's possible to hide in a rock, but I'm assuming it was behind one. And behind thickets, like little bushes. Do you mean? All these things that couldn't cover them. Or a cistern is like pretty much a bucket. Imagine these guys like sitting like this in a bucket. Do you mean? So that's, that's what's happening. That's because, and that was the situation they were in. Some of them crossed the Jordan River and escaped into the land of Gad and Gilead. Meanwhile, Saul stayed at Gilgal and his men were trembling with fear. Saul waited seven days for Samuel as Samuel had instructed him earlier. So Saul had instructions on what to do. If we read um, two chapters before it, he was told, wait seven days, Samuel's going to um, arrive, you guys are going to do a burnt offering together and you're going to defeat the enemy. Okay? That was the instructions. He had the instructions. So he waited seven days as Samuel had instructed him earlier. But Samuel still didn't come. Saul realized that his troops were rapidly slipping away. So he demanded, bring me the burnt and peace offering. And if this is the next important part. And Saul sacrificed the burnt offering himself. Just as Saul finished with the burnt offering, Samuel arrived. Saul went out to meet him. Saul, Saul, what's up? And, but Samuel said to him, what is this that you have done? Saul replied, but I saw my men scattering from me and you didn't arrive when you said you would. And the Philistines were at Michmash ready to super smash us. So I said, the Philistines are ready to march against us at Gilgal. And I hadn't even asked for the Lord's help. So I felt compelled to offer the burnt offering myself before you came. And I just want to think in our lives how many things that we've done before God came. How foolish, Samuel exclaimed. You have not kept the Lord's command the command the Lord God gave you, had you kept it, this is important, had you kept it, the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom must end. Enter David. For the Lord had sought after a man after his own heart. The Lord had already appointed him to be the leader of his people because you have not kept the command. Now this passage, there is so much that we could explore and get deep into, but I want to just focus on a couple small few points. So we go over to verse 6. So if we look at verse 6, it says, The men of Israel saw what a tight spot they were in, and because they were hard-pressed by the enemy. But God, I'm 35 years old. I'm single. Beggars can't be choosers, all right? Maybe I'll just jump into this relationship and I'll do one of those backwards prayers. You know, God, please bless this relationship that's completely jacking up my purpose. But, you know, I'm already six months into it. But come on, just, you know, it's been six months. Or maybe, God, I've been running this youth meeting 
for four months now, and every time I post in the chat, I'm getting less thumbs up than last week, and you know what, second, I'm, I'm done. You're in a tight spot, whatever tight spot you're in. So Saul had clear instructions from God. If we look um, to wait seven days and then give the burnt offering. But because Saul was more focused on the situation he was in rather than his instructions, he felt compelled to take matters into his own hands and give the burnt offering himself. Now what's interesting here is what Saul did wasn't wrong. He didn't do the wrong thing. He just did it at the wrong time. And I want us to, the second point I want us to remember and write down is that a blessing at the wrong time is a curse. Don't forget that a blessing in the wrong time is a curse. That job that you may be pushing for, you might be going for medicine, you'll be applied 35 times to get into medicine, but you haven't got in. Because maybe the reason is because God doesn't want you to get it at that time. I saw my men scattering from me and you didn't arrive when you said you would. What's interesting thing here is that Saul was living on his timeline. A lot of the time when we read the Bible, and this is just a point that came to my mind, a lot of the time when we read the Bible, we don't realize the context of time. Some of the things that happen, we read in the next verse, but sometimes the next verse was actually months or years later. And we need to live based on God's timeline rather than our own. I've got another verse here that I really like. It said, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and the future. So I think that's something really important that often a lot of us forget is that God has a plan for each and every one of us. And sometimes we read that verse and be like, yeah, that's cool. Yeah, God's got a plan. But you know what? I've got to second be sliding in the DMs because I've got to get in. You know, I've got to be married or whatever. Or I've got to be applying for six jobs because all my friends got an investment property and I've got to start working two jobs because of this. And we might think... That God's got a plan for us. But we really need to know and believe it. That that's the truth. How you guys going? I know that was a long piece of scripture. You know what I mean? It's clean. Now, who here is a runner? Mahawi. Mahawi. He's not here. So what happens when you're about to run a race, but you start running before you get clearance to go? False start, right? That's it. You get disqualified. You get a false start. And sometimes, what happened with Saul? He was meant to have the kingdom forever. He was going to have it. He was going to run. But what happened? He started running before his time and he became disqualified. And what's interesting is he didn't have to wait that much longer. If you read it, he said, just as Saul was finished with the offering. He had literally just finished. He had done making that burnt offering, launched it. If he waited 10 more minutes, just 10 more minutes, he would have had the kingdom forever. I want to give you some other examples of the Bible where God made a promise to someone and the time they got it was actually very different. If we look at when Abraham was promised a son, yeah, God said, I'm going to give you a son. I'm going to give you generations. How old was he when he got that? Does anyone know? He was, he was 75 years old. When did he get the son? No. 99, or even 100. You had to wait 24 or 25 years before it happened. Imagine waiting 25 years to get a promise. That's my whole life of waiting. Do you mean? <laughs> David was anointed king. He became king when he was 30. It said he was anointed king when he's still 
in his youth, like a teenager. Was probably, he wasn't in the army, so we know he's less than 20. He was probably like 17, 18. When he got told, you're going to become king. But when he actually became king, he was 30. So he probably had to wait 15 years before that happened. Another example is, Jesus waited until Lazarus was dead for four days before coming to resurrect him. Jesus could have resurrected him, you know, while he was, he didn't even have to come. He could have just, you know, clicked a finger and he would have raised. But he waited four days and he did it on purpose. And why is that? It's because God wants us to depend on him. Because what's the definition of faith? When we look at Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, it says, Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. I want to actually just came to my mind, share with you a story of myself. After I finished year 12, I was applying for jobs and I had never had a job before this. And I remember if Monica Teo was here, she could testify to this pretty funny story. She's like, okay, you know what? Our place needs a place in glory jeans. Why don't you come apply? So I went and applied and I applied at every second place in Endeavour Hill Shopping Centre. <laughs> now, I, to give you the context of where I applied, do you, anyone here know what Nonny B is? Like, <laughs> this is like, my body was ready. This is, um, Nonny B is like a mature age, like women's clothing store. I was ready to tell every tante coming in that she looked like a Mozza. Like, my, I was ready. But what was interesting is that there wasn't a single person, there wasn't a single response back. It could be because my resume was a blank A4 piece of paper with the word resume on it because I didn't know how to do the fancy. But that's not the point. The point is, if I had gotten one of those jobs at that time, when the time for spec savers to give me the job, which would have ended up being my career from then on, if I was already tied up in McDonald's or Domino's, or whatever. It could have been really glory jeans. Give me $15 an hour. I might have rejected that because I would have been the kind of person that goes, no, 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 I don't want to quit after two months. So sometimes God will prevent you from getting something because he got a better plan for you in the future. But you have to wait. And at that time, I can tell you, it really depressed me because... You know when you apply for Maccas and Maccas says no to you? <laughs> that's when you hit rock bottom. That's when you, that's when you give up. But it's because there was greater things in store. So it's a scary and a difficult thing to do to have faith. Because when you have faith, you have to be vulnerable. But God needs you to be vulnerable. Why? When you look at 2 Corinthians chapter 12, it says, My grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in your, in your weakness. That's right. My, my strength is made perfect in your weakness. Sometimes we have to be vulnerable so God can give us the greatest miracles. Now, there's a lot of other points that, I wanted, that we could have discussed in that um, passage. But another thing I want to talk about is that who was Saul fighting in that battle? Who was he fighting? Like, who was the name? The Philistines. He was fighting the Philistines. Now... The person that replaced Saul, who replaced Saul? David. David. Now, who did David have to fight? He had to fight Goliath. And who was Goliath? He was a Philistine. And because Saul hadn't dealt with the Philistine problem at that point, his ancestors had to deal with them in a more difficult, mutated version. Do you get that? 
sometimes in our life when we don't deal with the problem that God wants us to deal with at a certain time, we then have to deal with it later on in our life in a more difficult version. I remember Nick Vujicic, if anyone knows him, the guy with like no arms and like that one you know, chicken foot leg. He, he was talking about marriage and he was saying how a lot of the time people think that once they get married, they'll be happy. Once I have some kids, I'll be happy. And a lot of the time in our lives, our relationship problems aren't relationship problems. They're actually problems in singleness. These problems come before we enter into those things. And if we're not dealing with them early, they're going to present in our lives in the future in a more difficult form. So that's something that I found very interesting in this passage, that David had to deal with the Philistine. And if only Saul had destroyed them at that point, they wouldn't have been abusing him in the future. Now, the second story I want to get into, and I'm almost done because I want to leave time for discussion, um, is in Matthew chapter 14, verse 22. Now, I had only prepared up to this point because I wanted to leave the rest on faith and for God to kind of really just speak whatever comes out. And if it sucks, then why have you forsaken me? So, <laughs> so if we all got it, Matthew 14, verse 22. So, immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat. Now, I want to stop right there. Say that back to me. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat. Don't forget that. And go ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he dismissed them, he went up to the mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night... He was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from the land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lakes. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It is a ghost, they said, and cried out with fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Lord, if it is you, Peter replied, tell me to come to the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down from the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and began to sink. Lord, save me. Immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, why do you doubt? And when he climbed into the boat and the wind died down, those that were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. Now two things I want us to notice in that scripture. First of all, it links to the whole point where... It is by faith. But the disciples went into a storm. But who sent them into the storm? It was Jesus. But why? Why, why did he send them into a storm? Because the scene of their greatest storm would be the same scene of Peter's greatest miracle. And that's really important. If Peter never went into that storm, he would have never walked on water. There's only been two people in human history that have ever walked on water. And it was Jesus and Peter. And it was during his greatest storm. I think a lot of us see troubles in our life and storms as a bad or negative thing or God punishing us. And I want to give you another quick example. When we look at Matthew chapter 4, verse 1, it said, Then the Spirit, then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. 
Isn't that interesting? That Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. If we look at just one verse before it, Jesus was getting baptized. God was saying, this is my son whom I love and I'm well pleased. One verse later, he's like, I can go right there, start getting tempted. So again, it's in life, sometimes being tested is not punishment, but to develop character. The second thing that I want us to notice, and this is one of my final points, is that in verse 26, when they first saw what was happening, what did they cry out? When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. What did they say? It's a ghost. It's a ghost. Isn't that interesting? And then a couple verses later, they said, truly you are the son of God. In one season, they called this thing a ghost. In another season, they called it God. And sometimes in our life, in one season, we'll be like, man, nobody is accepting me into this job. I can't get a single home loan. I can't get a single house. I can't get a single friend that will call me up. But in another season in our life, we'll be like, hey, that was God. God really protected me. Man, if I got that house, I would have been in proper debt. Or if I got that house, now the economy is stuffed. Man, I would have been really stuffed. Do you know what I mean? And someone once told me, if you got everything you ever prayed for, would you be happy? Think about everything you've prayed for in your whole life. Would you be happy? Would you genuinely have a good, happy life? <laughs> That's a good point. Damn. Beat the system. But personally, probably not. Probably not. They're kind of... And that really shows that if we try to believe that our plans are the best for us, we can really end up with a ruined life. And that's, that's pretty much all I want to share with you today, except one last verse before I go. Job lost everything. But what happened at the end? He ended up with double of what he had before. And sometimes really having faith and trusting in God will leave you in the best position. And in Romans, last verse, and I'm, going to, I'm done. Romans chapter 5, verse 3, it says, Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. So, again, the message today, the title of it was Faith in an Untimely Storm. And I just want to encourage everyone here that no matter what season you're going through, whether it's a great season or whether you're going through the worst season in your life, just know that suffering is only temporary and there's much benefit to be gained out of it in the end. So, thank you.